So we're looking at John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. You can find this. If you're grabbing the Bible, tucked in the pew there in front of you, it's on page 897. So we'll read these uh, 10 verses for us. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So we come into this text here in the middle of a story. And we'll talk some about this story in just a few moments. But it's the story of the death of Lazarus, the interaction with Jesus and Lazarus's sisters, and then Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And we're sort of right in the middle of that when he gives this statement of, I am the resurrection and the life. And so what Jesus is doing is he's leveraging a moment here, as we'll see, a moment of death to make a point. And so what I want us to do is to, is to study this text, look at this text, consider this text together, and realize that Jesus also wants us to be confronted with Lazarus' death, just like he wanted Mary and Martha to be confronted with it, as well as anybody else who was gathered around. As I was thinking about this, as I was, uh, I have a subscription to the Atlantic Monthly, which um, I usually try to read uh, cover to cover, which usually means about mm, two magazines a year actually get read cover to cover, but uh, I'm working on that. This particular week, I was reading an article from the January 2018 um, edition that just came out, and it had this description of this app. There's an article about an app called We Croak. It's the name of the app. It's actually only available on iOS, so if you're an Android user like me, you can't get this particular app. But it's called We Croak, and what it is is it's an app that's designed to randomly, randomly alert you at five different times in the day to remind you that you will die. That's the point of the app. Five reminders every day that you will die with some type of quote to help you think about life. That's the whole premise of this particular app. And so I was reading this article, and uh, they were explaining that this app is inspired by this uh, famous uh, Bhutanese folk saying that says, to be truly happy, a person must contemplate death five times daily. If you want to be happy, you need to contemplate death five times daily. And so what this app does is it helps you do that. It helps you contemplate your own death five times daily. And the, the author of this article was talking about how it ended up being very helpful for her because maybe she was scanning through Facebook or maybe she was shopping on Wayfair or whatever she was doing and then she would get this reminder that she was going to die and she would think to herself, do I want to be on Facebook? If, if I'm going to die, do I want to spend that much time on Facebook? Do I want to spend that much time with whatever it was that she happened to be doing? So she started making some changes in the way that she lived her life because an app told her five times a day she was going to die. And so really what this app is, is aimed at doing is, is trying to help us live with intentionality, saying, all right, you only have a limited number of days. How do you want to spend them? And it's just a reminder that 
you get to make choices about how you spend your time. It forces you to take stock of how you're spending your life. And so Jesus, in a sense, Jesus is leveraging this moment with Lazarus to address what we think about the fact that we're going to die, about death. Now, Jesus is making a very different point than the We Croak app, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. But Jesus wants us to contemplate death. That's why, as we're going to see in just a few minutes, Jesus actually delayed coming to see Lazarus. When he found out Lazarus was sick, he delayed a couple of days to make sure that by the time he got there, Lazarus would already be dead. Because Jesus wanted to make a point about death. Because he wants his followers to contemplate death and to understand what the gospel means about death. It's an odd thing for us to talk about on Christmas Eve, but if you remember, Jesus was incarnate. He came to the world for the purpose of giving his life as a sacrificial, atoning sacrifice for us. So he came to die for us, that baby in the manger, so that our understanding and our reality of death could be changed forever. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So first I want us to walk through this story, this story that has Lazarus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Jesus. I want us to sort of make sure we understand the story and then we'll look and, and unpack sort of what, what Jesus wants us to understand and apply from this story. So firstly, we've got these three major characters in this story. We've got Jesus, and I'm using the word story just as an account, not because it's a mythical story, not because it's not true, but because it's a narrative. So the people in this narrative that we meet uh, that have names, that is, are Jesus, and then Lazarus is referenced as the brother of Martha. We meet Martha and we hear about Mary, and then there's a whole bunch of other people around. But in this account, we've got Jesus, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. So that's where we start here. But remember, as I told you a few moments ago, the story started earlier in this chapter where Jesus found out he was sick and delayed so that he could show up at the appointed time. In other words, Jesus wasn't surprised that when he got there, Lazarus was dead. Part of Jesus' plan here was to leverage that moment of Lazarus' death. And so he shows up right when he plans on showing up because that his plan all along was to arrive after Lazarus was dead so that he could unpack a truth that would be that much more obvious and vibrant in the life of, in the heart of Martha and anyone else who would hear the story. He did this for a purpose. And then also, as I was reading one of the commentaries, you know, it seems somewhat arbitrary that Jesus shows up four days later. You know, once you're dead, you're dead. But actually, Jesus showed up four days later because Jewish mystics of the day, they believed that when someone died, their soul hovered over the body for three days, and then it departed. And so Jesus is like, all right, I know there's going to be some mystics. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. I'll show up four days later. So he shows up four days later so that everyone is in agreement. Lazarus is fully dead. He's completely dead. He's not mostly dead. He's fully dead. Some of you got that reference. Okay. Now, verses 21 and 24. So Lazarus is dead, and we have Martha hearing that Jesus is there. She comes running out, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So we have this interaction between Martha and Jesus. And so 
And Martha, I want us to look at what Martha says to Jesus when Jesus arrives on scene. So Jesus gets there, she runs out to see him, and if I can paraphrase it, what she says to Jesus is she says, Jesus, you're powerful. I know you're powerful. I'm so thankful that you're powerful. I just wish your timing were better. Jesus, you could have done something. I know you could have. It's too bad you weren't here. So she believes that Jesus had the power to heal her brother. She absolutely believes it. And then she even says that she knows that he can do anything because he's powerful because he's, he's God. His father will hear all of his requests. And so she knows, she, she knows on some level that, yeah, Jesus, you are powerful. And I really wish you'd been here. And I actually, I'm convinced that if you had been here, this story would have gone differently. And that's why I know that you're worthy of my trust. I want you to understand that what she's saying, for a grieving sister, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. She doesn't doubt Jesus' goodness. She doesn't doubt Jesus' power. She just doubts the timeline. And so when Jesus says to her that her brother will rise again, she believes him. And she believes that what he means is in the last day, he'll rise again. Because what, what Martha's doing here is she's taking what she's learned, what the Pharisees taught, was that when someone dies, there would be a last day and there would be a resurrection. And so she's believing what she's been taught, which is that there will be a resurrection of the people of God. And so her brother is now dead, but one day he'll be alive again. And so when Jesus says that, she says, yeah, I do believe that. And so it's not that she doesn't believe that Jesus has power or that he will raise Lazarus from the dead. It's just that what she believes is actually just too small. Jesus says, yeah, you're right, but it's a lot bigger than that, bigger than what you anticipated, Martha. And so you can look at what Jesus says in verses 25 and 26 when Jesus says, I am the res." He says this to Martha. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who, believes, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she says yes. Because she starts to understand more what it means that he's the Christ. That he's the one that has power over death. So Jesus brings this whole new level of understanding about the reality of life being restored. That When you have relationship with Jesus, it's not just a guarantee for life to come. It's a guarantee for life right here and right now, which means that Martha didn't realize it, but she's beginning to. The gospel's much bigger news than she thought. She already knew it was good news, but she didn't realize how big the good news is. And Jesus says, I'm going to change everything you think about what life is. Life, life is primarily spiritual, secondarily physical. And she doesn't really have a framework for that. And so he's got to build a new framework for her. The reality is we don't really have a framework for that. So Jesus is building a new framework for us to understand that real life is life connected and in relationship with him. And that life is spiritual life. And that spiritual life never ceases, never ends. And so Jesus, to paraphrase Jesus, he says, Martha, you're right, but it's even bigger and better than you thought. With me, it's not death now and life later. It's life now and forever. That's what you have. And so what we need to understand is that when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, the purpose of that miracle is to illustrate this truth. 
that Jesus restores us to forever life and that death has no power over Jesus, but just the opposite, Jesus has all the power over death. And because of that, our understanding of what death is as believers should be shaped by his power, not by what our eyes see. Our eyes do see people get old, people get sick, people die. We see it. We know that death is real. Jesus isn't saying death's not real. He's saying what is, what is the deeper reality, the spiritual reality or the physical reality? And he says to Martha, it's the spiritual reality. Life with me is life forever starting now. And so for us, if we believe that as followers of Jesus, if we've somehow come to believe that when someone dies, they experience who's someone who dies in Christ. If we believe that someone who's a follower of Jesus, that when they die, that they're experiencing some type of catastrophic loss, we don't understand what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, no, that's, that's not how that works. When you have a relationship with Jesus, what changes are the physical parameters of your life, not the existence and the beauty of your life. That's a forever promise. And so he's changing this for her, and he's changing our understanding possibly this morning. Now, the truth is you and I have adopted a framework from birth that says, all right, I have a limited amount of time in this life, and so what I need to do is squeeze as much from this life as I can. That's why an app like We Croak exists, because we're afraid of losing and wasting what time we have. Now, John Piper wrote a great book called Don't Waste Your Life. He's talking about using the time that Jesus gives you on earth to share the good news of Jesus with other people. That's not a waste of life. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's a sense in which the Rui Croak app says, hey, you're going to waste your time on frivolous things. And if you do, you've wasted the only time you had. So use this time well because there's not any more of it for you. This is all you've got. So everything that you can experience, everything that you can enjoy, it comes now or it doesn't come at all. So you better go after it. You better pursue it. And that's why this, this idea, this belief that we have a limited amount of time to get as much out of life as possible is the reason that we have apps like We Croak. It's the reason that we make bucket lists. It's the we- reason that we go through midlife crises. It's the reason that we have crippling credit card debt. It's the reason many of us struggle periodically with depression. It's because we think that if I waste this time, I've wasted my life. That if I haven't leveraged this time, if I haven't squeezed everything out of this time, if I haven't organized myself to achieve all of my goals in the limited amount of time that I have, then it's been a waste. That's a crushing thought for us. Oftentimes we think, well, yeah, I know that the the spiritual reality, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, I know there is a spiritual reality. And it's nice that that I have that to fall back on. But the reality is we put so much priority on the physical reality against the spiritual or over the spiritual, I should say, that for us, the the reality of a forever spiritual life is really just a net that catches us when we finally have to fall. But we think all the fun's had on the trapeze. That's essentially what we think. And Jesus is saying, that's so wrong. It's so flawed. It's going to crush you if you believe that because spiritual reality is greater than physical reality. Now, this is the point that Jesus is making, and I, just want, I, want to see this, see, I want us to see this point and apply it to our own personal lives. It's the second half of what I want us to look at this morning. And so what Jesus, one thing that Jesus is illustrating for us here is that death is not God's design for his image bearers. So with Jesus, the coming of Jesus, death is being forever altered. It won't be the end of the story. It won't be the defining moment of Jesus' followers' story. 
it's just one chapter in their story. But the reality is, it isn't what we're designed for. So Jesus isn't saying that, you know what, Martha, you've been wrong all along. You've been wrong about death. No, he's saying, no, you've been right about death. Death is bad. Death is broken. Death is because there's sin in the world. But I'm about to change everything about death. And so when Paul says that we grieve, but not as those without hope, he's referencing in some way back to what Jesus is saying here. He's saying we grieve as those, but not, we grieve, but not as those without hope, because our hope is not that someday the dead will live again, but that in Christ the dead are still alive. We grieve because those that we love that are in Christ who have died have only died physically, but will never die spiritually. And beyond that, what Paul tells us is that it's better to be with God than to be here. So really, when we grieve as those with hope for those that we've lost, we've lost them. They've lost nothing. The reason we grieve is because we feel the loss, not because they do. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I'm that kind of savior. That means that life for my people is life forever. There's a song, it's a beautiful song by Ed Sheeran uh, off his new album called Supermarket Flowers. I don't know if you guys, please don't judge me that I like Ed Sheeran, right? First, and the reality is I really do. I really do like Ed. But uh, this song, Supermarket Flowers, so I was listening to it the other day at the coffee shop when I realized I was about to start crying. So at that moment, um, I just sort of, you know, you know when you're like in your computer and you try to look like you just, you can't quite read it and you get real close to your screen? That's what I did. Um, so I don't think anybody saw me cry, but if they did, I hope they didn't judge me. Um, but I want to read some lyrics from this song, Supermarket Flowers. So this is a song that Ed wrote when he, uh, after he watched his mom grieve the death of her mom. So he's, he's writing it about his grandmother from his mom's perspective. And so he says, I took the supermarket flowers from the windowsill. I threw the day-old tea from the cup, packed up the photo album Matthew had made, memories of a life that had been loved. I took the get well soon cards and stuffed animals. I poured the old ginger beer down the sink. Dad always told me, don't you cry when you're down. But mom, there's a time every time, there's a, there's a tear every time that I blink. Oh, I'm in pieces, it's tearing me up, but I know. A heart that's broke is a heart that's been loved. So I'll sing hallelujah. You were an angel in the shape of my mom. When I fell down, you'd be there holding me up. Spread your wings as you go. When God takes you back, he'll say hallelujah, you're home. Now, I don't know if Ed, what, what Ed's grandmother's state was with Jesus. I also know that Ed's theology of human beings becoming angels is flawed. But you know one thing he gets right? Is that when a believer goes to see the Father, it's hallelujah, you're home. Because that is our true home. Our home is with our Father. And so in a sense, we get an, an experience of home in part while we have physical bodies in a broken world, but the fullest experience is when we're present with him, physically, spiritually, right there in his presence. That's when we're home, when we're there with him. And so no matter what you think of Ed Sheeran or what you think of his theology of humans and angels, he gets that right. But without the gospel, there is no hope for that. Without the gospel, this life really is all you've got. And you've got to try to squeeze as much as you can out of it. And I remember my, my mom really liked this movie when I was growing up, this old black and white film called You Can't Take It With You. 
Uh, and the basic premise is true, right? We really can't take it with us. So there's no reason to try and hoard all your money because you can't take it with you. And you remember the, the Vikings used to take, I mean, I'm just going off of popular culture, so don't quote me on any Viking facts, but generally speaking, it's understood that the Vikings, when a, when a Viking would die, his ship, like a Viking uh, chieftain or whatever they were called, when he would die, he would load his ship up with possessions and they'd burn it so he could take it with him to the next life. It doesn't work out because you can't take it with you. And for us as followers of Jesus, that's supposed to be a freeing truth. Like, hey, this isn't everything, so don't treat it like it's everything. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, what that means is use it all up now. Get as much as you can now because you can't take it with you. And so rightly we would say you can't take it with you, but wrongly we draw this conclusion that there's nothing more than what we have now. So leverage everything you can for that. And when we start to believe that there is nothing beyond this, what happens is we become crushed because that is a, essentially a life that's driven by fear and a life that's, that's enslaved to fear. And so when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's actually, he's, it's like a freedom cry to our hearts. Hey, you thought that this was all there was and you were wrong. Isn't that good news? This isn't all there is. And so no longer do we have to wrestle with, hey, you're gonna die, so you need to soak it up now. Now, the good news of the gospel is, hey, you're never going to die. So soak up this moment and soak up the next moment and know that the moments are just going to keep coming for you to soak up life. And so for us, if we're living out of fear versus living free of fear, I'm not nearly as cute as what's going on over there. I understand that. If we're living out of fear when we look at our money, it's never enough. When we're living out of fear, our Christmas with our family wasn't sweet enough. We didn't have enough people there. We didn't have enough of this. We didn't have enough of that. If we're living out of fear, we say, I don't have enough. I haven't, I haven't got enough experiences. Some of us, we look and we think, well, if I died today, what are the things that I would wish that I had done and I hadn't, hadn't done? That bucket list, I've got to at least check a few things out. Let me prioritize them. Can't do all 50, but maybe I can get these five done. And then if I can't get to those five or I don't have the money for those five or I don't have the vacation for those five, it causes me anxiety, it causes me stress. If I don't reach my career benchmarks, if I'm not where I thought I would be, if I don't have the influence that I thought I would have, all these things, right? this is my chance. If I don't get there, if I don't do these things, I lose. And Jesus is saying, no, you can live free of that fear. You can enjoy the reality that you are with Jesus and you are Jesus's right now. And so what I want to leave us with this morning is the point that Jesus is making here is that we don't have to live that life of comparison anymore. You don't have to look at your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed. You don't have to go and look at what all your friends have done that they found on Pinterest that you don't even know how to start. You don't have to look at those things. You don't have to compare your vacations with somebody else or your lack of vacations with somebody else. You don't have to compare your house with somebody else's house. Jesus is saying, hey, if you have me, you have a full life, which means today, whatever your Christmas Eve looks like, whoever you're spending it with, however you're allocating the time, it's a good day that Jesus has given you. It's one day of an eternal life that he's given you, a life when you will get to soak up the goodness of being loved day after day after day. So when Jesus says to us, hey, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's saying, don't try and take everything from this life. You'll, you'll wear yourself out 
and you'll drive yourself into a deep depression. But today, today's a good day. It's a day of life that I've given you because I'm the king of your life. It's a gift for you. So I'd encourage each one of us today, as you go and have your lunch, as you gather for your dinner, as you have conversation, as you watch old movies, whatever it is you do today, it's a good day. This is one day of your eternal life that Jesus has given you. Let's pray.